Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Uh, a little um, curveball for us today. Not only do we have a special guest leading us in worship, um, I have a co-preacher up here. Everybody say hello to Justin. Thank you very, very much. You're getting um, unique support from the I junior am, high boy yes. group. That's pretty awesome. Um, and uh, uh, Justin is a teacher here in CCISD. He's also a seminary student. And uh, we had been talking about uh, doing something like this. So we're going to kind of ham and egg it up here. And um, what the, the, like it'll be too... Uh, some of you get tired of hearing just my voice. Hey, that was way better than the 830 service. They're like, yeah, that's right. Amen, Pastor. Sorry, suckers. Um, uh, so it's good to have different human voices. But what we all really need to hear is the voice of the Lord to us. And so uh, we're going to get cranking here today. We're in a very uh, specific, very fun little passage in John chapter 6 about uh, Jesus declaring himself to be the bread of life. So I thought we'd do a little congregational survey and see who is our people and who we need to kick out. All right, you ready? So here, here we go. Uh, th- this is A or B right here. Here we go. Here's picture number one. Uh, wheat bread or white bread? Wheat bread people. White bread people? It's about 50-50. That's about what the 830 service was, give or take. What, yeah, okay, all right. Second, here we go. Uh, Italian bread or sourdough bread? Italian bread? Sourdough bread. Oh, yes, let the church say amen. <laughs> let the church say amen. Okay, uh, third, third A or B, here we go. Dinner roll or biscuit? Oh, 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 oh. Well, did you hear that? There was a ripple. There was like, whoa. <laughs> It's getting harder. Uh, okay, uh, dinner roll people, A. Okay, yeah, yeah, biscuit. My people right there, you my people. Last one, last one. This, this is the really, this is the key decider. Italian breadsticks. Uh, you have to put the uh on the end. Uh, or tortillas, breadsticks, tortillas. Thank you, Lord, amen, amen, amen. All of it. Now, now, granted, I mean, tortilla is the perfect bread, except if you're eating lasagna. Is that fair? I mean, like, it's fair, right? Like, you wouldn't eat... Some of you are like, yes, I would. Well, I mean, that's a little weird. But we'll still let you keep... Mostly stay around. Um, it, all of it, though. Like, biscuits. Um, it, like, you, can, can you go here with me? Can you pull a biscuit, like, hot... And like put it in your hand and you got to like the smell hits you before. Oh, thank you. Yeah. A little visual cue here. The smell hits you uh, before. And then like you, you put it in your mouth. You with me on this? You put it in your mouth and it's got that kind of buttery, uh, uh, flowery film thing there. And you stick it in and you're chewing around and all of a sudden you realize it has stuck to the top of my mouth. Yeah. You with me on this? And like part of what you're doing in that moment is working whatever machinations in your mouth to get it off of the top of your mouth. And some of you are thinking, we're going to Cracker Barrel after this. I've got to have some of that. Go for it. That'll be great. The, the crowd will be cleared out by the time you get there. I'm sure of it. Um, so you got that, right? But, but every one of those, every one of those, all of them are designed for a purpose. And that is to be enjoyed and to satisfy you. Nobody eats a biscuit thinking to themselves, eh, 
I guess I'll eat a biscuit. You eat a biscuit going, Lord, you have blessed us with a biscuit. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. It is, it is to, for it to be enjoyed and, and for you, for you to be satisfied. Because it's not designed just to stay in your mouth. It's designed to nourish your body in some way. And today, that's what we're talking about when we talk about Jesus as the bread of life. So i uh, give you two words. I just want you to hold on to these two words, okay? The first one is expectations. That's the negative word we're going to talk about first. And the second one is expectancy. That's the positive word that we're going to move towards. So expectant, expectations and expectancy. That's where we're going to be today. Well, let's get into the text then. We are in chapter 6, as Pastor Trent said, and we're going to be starting in verse 30 and read down to 40. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may believe in you? What what must we do? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So we're talking about expectations this morning. And we see in this passage that the Jews have an expectation. And we expect God to relate to us in a specific way. Okay? So we're going we're gonna to track through this. We expect God to relate in a certain way. Look at verse 30. They said, show us a sign that we may believe in you. But wait a minute. Didn't he already just show a sign? We're talking about bread. What did he do? He took bread and multiplied it, right? Fed a whole multitude of people. And yet here they are, and they're asking for a sign. So why are they asking for a sign? It's because they want to control the situation. That's their entire life. Their entire life is predicated on control, right? I mean, they have all these rules, all these regulations, things they can do, things they can't do, things you can do on the Sabbath, things that you have to do on a different day. And it's all about control. And what we see here is when they come and ask Jesus, hey, give us a sign that we may believe in you. They're asking for not just any sign, but a specific one. And the reason why they're doing that is so that if the sign that is given is not according to their expectations, then they can just dismiss Jesus. Because he's not what they want to believe, right? So we see that... They wanted to control Jesus, and so they asked for a sign. They were coming to Jesus, and they wanted Jesus, but only on their own terms. And we do that too. Sometimes we are asking God for a sign, and then we get a sign, and we think that that's what it is. And sometimes we're like, well, 
That was that. Yeah, here's the thing, okay? I think the rain showers that we had, that was kind of a sign that the weather's going to change, right? Hopefully, right? But I'm going to be honest, those little two days of rain showers, that was not enough for me. I don't know about y'all, but my yard, it does not look good, okay? We decided to put water in the pool and not on the yard, okay? So that's where we're at. So I think we should just skip to Christmas. How's that? Anybody with me, right? Okay, no? Okay, but here, hear me out, okay? So we're going to skip past that that holiday in October, right? We're going to pass through Thanksgiving, I know, but hey, pumpkin spice latte people, we all know peppermint mocha is better, so we're going to go straight to Christmas, okay? We'll get to Advent, and it's a wonderful life, all right? Anybody else watch It's a Wonderful Life? Yeah, a few of you? Yes. Okay, well, in It's a Wonderful Life, there's a character, his name is George Bailey, and he has some expectations as well. Well, in the movie, okay, he is in a situation where he needs to come up with a lot of money, okay? Not his fault, but somebody else's, but that's where it is. So he goes to another person, the villain in the movie, of course, and he asks that person for money, and guess what? That person says, no. So now he's desperate. He doesn't know what to do, so he goes to a bar. Not a good place to get wisdom, by the way. Anyway, so he's at the bar, and he's, he starts to pray. And he says, God, I'm not a praying man, but if you're up there, I need you to give me a sign. I need you to show me the way. Anybody know what happens next? There's another guy in the bar. It turns out that it's the husband of the wife that George Bailey yelled at on the phone earlier. And so he gets up and he punches him right in the jaw and he lays George Bailey out. And then George says, well, I guess that's what I get for praying. And we do that, right? We have an expectation of how God is going to relate to us. And when he doesn't relate to us in that way, we automatically think, what was the point? Right? And so... George misinterpreted the punch in the face, had nothing to do with God. But he, just like the Jews, were trying to control the uncontrollable God. And when you try to control the uncontrollable God, you're going to end up disappointed. So we expect God to relate, relate in a certain way. Next part is we expect him to act in a certain way. Just picking up again, verse 31. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it's written. He gave bread from heaven to eat. <clears throat> we expect God to, to act in a certain way. They, they had seen bread in the wilderness. So they're picking up the story. Moses leads the people out of Egypt. Um, as they're crossing through the wilderness there, they're like, bro, we're hungry and we're out of food. God rains down manna every day. And they're supposed to trust him oh, uh, day in and day out uh, for this kind of thing. And so they're like, hey, sure, surely you're going to do this exact thing again. They wanted a kind of clarity based on an assumption. God, we know that you're going to do this and we want you to do it in a way that is so clear to us that we can predict. Because when we predict, when we can predict the kind of things that God wants to do and the kind of, uh, we give ourselves over to these expectations and how he's going to act in a certain way, then we're positioning ourselves to make sure that we get all of the good stuff and not necessarily any of the other stuff. Is that true for anybody in here? But the reality is, is that this expectation that God would act in a certain way was based on a really, really bad assumption. What they had was Jesus right there in front of them, and they couldn't see what was right 
in front of them. Anybody have this problem? I do. You do? Yeah. Hmm. Oh, the other day, okay, so I was looking for keys. Anybody lost some keys? I need to get the keys in the shed, right? And they weren't where I thought that they should be, right? So I do what every great husband does. I go ask my wife, right? Because they know everything, right? They keep everything running. So I go ask her, and she says, oh, yeah, it's in the office. And I was like, oh, yes, yeah, yeah, I got it, I got it. So I go in the office, pull out the, I'm looking on the desk, looking around, pull open a drawer. And I'm rummaging around in there, and I'm thinking, I don't see the keys in here. Oh, there's those needle nose I needed like two weeks ago. I better hold on to that. Oh, and there's that thing that I was supposed to glue together for my son for his little action figure. Haven't done that. That was like a month ago. I'm going to just stick that back in there. Hopefully he doesn't think about it. And I'm like, where are the keys? Where are the keys? So then I go ask my son. Maybe he did something with it, right? And so he's on the couch playing something, right? And I said, hey, son, do you, do you, have, do you know where the keys is? No. You know, anybody got a, a child in there that like all they do is grunt with you, right? Okay, that's, yeah, uh-huh. So that's the way it is. And I'm like, man, where is this? And so I went back to my wife asking her, hey, where are the keys? She's like, they're in the drawer. And I'm thinking, I looked in the drawer. Okay, fine, whatever. Go back in there. I open the other drawer. Okay, so I'm, this is her drawer, by the way. And I'm going to be honest, ladies. Y'all got some weird stuff, okay? I'm going through this drawer. I have no idea what that's for, right? And I'm thinking, okay, the, the keys aren't in here, okay? And so I'm going somewhere else, and my wife is like, what are you doing? I'm looking for the keys. And she's like, I told you they were in the office, in the drawer. And I'm like, they're not in there, babe. And so guess what she does? She walks in there, pulls open the drawer, boom, plucks it right out, right? Okay? So here's the problem. I thought I understood what she said, but by my actions, I showed that I was totally wrong. And what was going on? Same way with the Jews. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. You're going to do this again, right? Jesus, you're going to make this magic happen? You did it actually just a few verses earlier at the uh, top of the chapter there where you feed this, these thousands upon thousands. You're going to do this again. In this particular case, they lived with an assumption that was wrong. Look at verse 32. Jesus said to them, truly, truly. I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. What was their assumption? Moses did it. Moses had the staff. He parted the Red Sea with it. Except it wasn't. It was the wind of God that did that. Um, Moses had the staff that he split the rock. Except it wasn't that. It was the power of God that did that. Um, Moses had the staff that called this down and did that and turned it. Uh, no, no. That was all the power of God. Moses' staff was just a symbol of the power of God. It was not Harry Potter's little thing that he's going to make magic happen with. We expect God to act in a certain way. The problem is we are living in wrong assumptions about what that way actually is. It's not Moses. But my father gives you the true bread from heaven. That's what he says. My father gives you the true bread from heaven. It came from him, not, uh, not from Moses. And in, and in typical Jesus style here, he's going to take, um, they want, I'm going to reference something last week in just a second. They want bread. And so he's going to take that desire and he's going to push it down to the level where he wants to operate in their lives. Last week we talked, um, had this big long block quote. If you were here uh, from C.S. Lewis, if not, uh, you can go online and find it. This big long block quote where Lewis in, in his uh, Mere Christianity book is talking about desires that somehow uh, at, at times kind of get pointed in a different direction or in a... Uh, uh, you know, to, to something that um, is not fully satisfying. Here's the deal. In, in this particular case, they wanted bread. And Jesus is like, you want bread? I want to give you bread. Like, you want to satisfy your stomach, and I want to satisfy your soul. This is what he says. Look at verse 33. 
<clears throat> excuse me, for the bread of God is he, not it, he. Not it. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. What's he giving? He's giving life. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Give us this bread always. He wants to give them something even better. And even that desire that they have is pointing to something bigger. And here is where Jesus steps right into their world and wants to step right into our world. And he wants to be so clear about this that we put it on its own slide. Okay? Here's where Jesus is. He wants to be clear about this single thing, that he alone satisfies us and meets the deepest needs of our soul. Verse 35, you give us his bread always. Verse 34, verse 35, Jesus said to them, what? I am the bread of life. I'm going to give you bread that brings life. Oh, 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 yeah, 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 that sounds good. No, no, I am that bread of life. I alone satisfy you. And I alone meet the deepest needs of your soul. You're worried about your stomach. I'm talking about meeting what is deep, deep, deep inside of you. Therefore, therefore, instead of living with expectations, we can live with expectancy. And expectancy says this. God, I, I, I'm living with this sense of anticipation that you are going to act to satisfy our souls. God, I believe that you are going to act to satisfy. I anticipate you acting to satisfy our souls. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you've seen me and yet you don't believe. God, we can live with this sense of anticipation, the sense of expectancy that God is going to satisfy our souls. One of our biggest issues, uniquely our biggest issues, is that we live in a world of options. Anybody noted this? I'll give you an example. Uh, Let's pretend, I hope you don't, but let's pretend you have to drive up to Spring or the Woodlands or something like that this afternoon. So you plug it in. I'm going to, you know, this thing. Got to go up to the big airport or whatever it is. And the Google Map lady... She's kind enough to give you the blue line. And then there's like 12 other gray lines. And you look at them, you're like, well, that's... And if you're smart, especially this time of year, you you got your weather app on one thing, and you're looking at the Google map on the other, right? Because you're like, oh, I hope I can get around. Anyway, so you got that happening. Um, And and the the Google lady is giving you options. She's like, well, you could go this way. Uh, This way is uh, two minutes faster, but it'll cost you $4.50 in toll. And inevitably, there's this one. This way is 24 minutes slower. And you're like, Google lady, in what world do I want to spend 24 extra minutes on the road in Houston traffic in my car? She obviously, the, the, the artificial intelligence hasn't gotten to the intelligence part of that yet. This is a problem. So you never click that one. I get it. Uh, or, or, we'll stay with kind of our online life. You go to Amazon, you got to have the thing, whatever the thing is. And you, you, you do the click and you're like, add to cart, and it adds to cart. Great, no problem. You go to checkout, you check out. Here, you have shipping Options, especially in 
the Houston area where we got 25, you know, distribution things, like you can have it by three o'clock if you really want to. You spend $25, they'll get it to you here by one. You've got that option. Well, how many of those things do I actually need? You know, I don't know, $25, right? I, I don't You've got uh, delivery overnight. It'll be on your porch by 8 a.m. You've got a delivery tomorrow, one-day delivery. You've got two-day delivery, which was prime. Like back in the day, it was prime. And everybody was happy with two-day delivery back in the day. Is that true? Yeah, and now we're not, by the way. We're like, two days? Are you kidding me? <sighs> and then, then, then you're like, oh, but your Amazon day is Thursday, and if it's fewer boxes. And if you wait till your Amazon day, if you don't really need your widget or whatever it is, um, then on Thursday, you can get it, and you get a $1.50 digital credit with Amazon. Some of you are vets at this. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You're like, oh, I know. I've actually got a formula worked out so that if I do this, this, and this, I can get it. I mean, you've got this down. We live with options. And this is part of our challenge. Jesus said this in verse 36. Of them, and I wonder if it applies. But I said to you that you see me and yet do not believe. Like, there are things that we can say, oh, yeah, sure, God, that's true. But we don't really count on him, anticipate him acting to satisfy our souls. In our particular context, uh, let me just lay out four of the most popular options. Now, um, I didn't come up with these. There was a prophet in the Old Testament named Jeremiah. He was really smart. And he knew something about, um, excuse me, uh, 6th century culture, uh, B.C. culture. And he knew something about 21st century Western culture. Here's what he says, Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, the one who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Here are our options. See if this rings any bells or gets anywhere close to your zip code. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Intellectual acumen. If I get good enough grades, I'll accomplish this, and it it will get me to where I feel like I really need to be, or I will be validated. If I finish this degree, if I accomplish this particular thing at work, if this particular version of my project, whatever it may be, comes to fruition because of the brain power that I have invested in it, And if it's not me, it's my kids. Because some of us live vicariously. Intellectual acumen. Secondly, financial resources. Let not a rich man boast in his riches. We don't have to look very far to recognize what a terrible option this actually is. Because mortgage rates and inflation go up and stock markets go down. And nothing about that provides the kind of security that our souls actually want. Let not a mighty man boast in his might. Physical capacity, prowess, if you will. The, the ability to accomplish physically what I want or to attract what I want. Well, and one more time. We don't have to think very hard to recognize that, hey, ultimately... That physical stuff, like, it really does begin to wane. 
knees start creaking. And, and lastly, social capital. But let him who is boasting, um, boasting this say he understands and knows me. Sometimes our boast is those that we know. Oh, yeah, I'm a part of that group. I'm in that section. I can pick up the phone and make that call. Let me text that person real quick. And so it's our social capital that we're counting on to satisfy us. I'm in the in group. But the reality is, is again, those things wane. They, they come and they go. And none of them are ultimately satisfying. Uh, a picture here for those of you who lived through this and maybe stepped on one of these. This is the Shapo Bowl. Anybody? Anybody ever uh, taken the star to the bottom of your foot there in the middle of the night? Said some things that you wish didn't, you didn't say. If you're not familiar here, just for clarity's sake, um, it's a, a like development, developmental toy. Uh, you put it in front of the kid, the kid takes the star, puts it in the star hole, takes the square, and so forth and so on. This is how this thing goes. Developmentally appropriate, and then uh, you pull the thing apart, all the pieces fall out, and you start all over, and the kid's occupied for 30 to 60 seconds or whatever the case is, right? So, so the idea is, is that they're learning to take the shapes and, and, you know, distinguish and put it in. And then, then your six-year-old gets a hold of it. And it's like, oh, watch this. Especially if your six-year-old's a boy, because it just tends to happen this way. They take, they take that square and they look at that round hole and they think to themselves, oh, bro, I can make this fit. And so all of a sudden, they're like doing a push-up on the shapeo ball square thing to shove it down through the round hole. And oftentimes, they can make it go. They really can. The problem with the square peg going through the round hole is, is not that it can't go in there. It's that it doesn't fill it. And you and I are made for eternity. The Bible says that we have, in Ecclesiastes 3.10, we have eternity in our hearts. And we take riches or physical capacity or intellectual acumen or social capital or any number of things that are, that are um, square pegs, and we try to shove them into the God-shaped hole in our lives. And all we're doing is throwing finite things down into, into this infinite hole. We are made. And it doesn't satisfy. That's just it. Yes, we might shove it in there and force it, but it doesn't fully satisfy. It doesn't fill up the entire space. Only God can do that. Only Jesus, the bread of life, only Him is the one who satisfies our souls and meets the deepest needs that we have. Let's just read here for just one more second here. So the question then is, will I trust him to do it? It's, it's a belief question. Again, back in verse 36. But I said to you, you have seen me, and yet you do not what? Believe. Believe. That's the key thing right there. To believe. That. That's what we want. We want to believe, anticipate that God will act to satisfy our souls. Well, not only does God act to satisfy our souls, but he also relates to satisfy our souls. And we live with a lot of things, like Pastor Trent was saying, that doesn't satisfy us. Look at verse 37. Verse 37 says, All that the Father gives me 
will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. There is an acceptance in those verses. Jesus doesn't say, hey, you've got to be this, you've got to do that, you've got to, all of that, right? He just says, I'm going to accept you. Anybody who comes, I will accept. The problem is, we are so tainted by the relationships of this broken world that we don't actually believe that. Some of us in here, we believe that there is something inside of us that makes us unworthy, not only of relationships with those around us, but also a relationship with God. But Jesus says right here, no, 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 no. Anybody who comes to me, I will accept. You see, we have this idea that I'll never be enough. I'll never do enough. Or I'll never have enough stuff. And so what we do is, because we know that we'll never amount to that, we start to pretend, right? We got to make sure everything's right. I got to make sure the laundry's done. I got to make sure the kid's homework is done. Oh, I forgot. I got to make sure that I pick up so-and-so over here. I got to make sure that the house is clean. Somebody's coming over. Dinner's on the table. All of that. And we live in this world that I need to be perfect, even though we know we can't be perfect. And so because we can't be perfect, instead, we pretend. We start to shove things into that hole, right? And then it doesn't satisfy. Instead, it actually leaves us empty and wanting. And we're so afraid that we're going to have to hold something else that we can't hold. That we just hope and pray that God does not reveal to the people around us that we don't have it all together. But the good news is, Jesus says, none of that matters. Anybody who comes to me, I will accept. It's not about who you think you should be. It's about who you already are. Christ says, don't try to work for this. I'm going to give it to you. And not only that, I'm going to satisfy your souls. He accepts us. Verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. You see, this kind of speaks to anxiety. We're so afraid of, of not being able to continue in the life that we have. We're so afraid of something that's going to happen to us tomorrow, or something that's already happening to us right now, that we don't know how to get through it. And Jesus is saying, I'm offering something here that no one can take away, right? He's saying that I can satisfy your soul. I just need you to believe. See, there's a connection here. Belief, satisfaction. Believe that God is going to take care of you and you will be satisfied. That's what he's saying right here. Nothing that they give me will I lose. And so what we need to do is we need to make sure... That we understand that what he offers us is never going to go away. And that nobody can take it away from us. John 10 verses 28 and 29. What does it say? I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. The father who gives them to me is greater than all and no one will pluck them out of his hand. Don't you see, nothing in this world can happen to you that God doesn't already have you. He has you in his hands. It's like that old song that we used to sing as children. He's got the whole world in his hands. Why is it, 
As children, we can understand that and accept it. But as adults, we grow out of that childlike faith and we start to worry and not think that God has us. Let's look at Romans. Paul talks about maybe one of the most important things about security. Romans 8, 38 and 39, it says, and you guys probably know this already. For I am sure that neither death nor life. Let me stop right there. Some of y'all are worried about death. Or you're worried for someone else because they are in the last winter of their life. And those of you who are in that winter, you're thinking to yourself, I don't know how this is going to play out. I don't know what's going to be left behind. All of these things that I wanted to do, all my family, all of that. Hey. Jesus is saying, I've got you. But then there's something else here. It says, life doesn't matter either. Some of y'all, you're more scared of living than dying. Maybe some of you younger people in the room, right? You get thoughts going in and it's stirring you up and you just, I, I don't know what to do. I wish this would go away. And you're trying to think of things. Let me hear it. I'm, tell, I'm telling you. God has got you in his hand. You do not have to worry. There is an eternity of security in Christ. And last. There is a hope. Jesus says in verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. There's a hope there that, that, that no matter what is going on in your life right now, no matter what is going to happen to you later, it doesn't matter because Jesus is with us and he's holding everything together. And so when we have this idea of expectancy, it frees us up to not live in shame, but have this vulnerability to say, you know what? I can't do it all together, but my Jesus, he can do that for me, through me. It says that I don't have to worry about what's going on in the stock market. It doesn't matter. I don't have to worry about anything because my salvation is secure. And God is going to take me to the end. Whatever that end is, he's going to hold on to us. And it also means that we can dream of the glorious future that he's going to have for us. You see, when we live with expectancy, God is going to satisfy our souls and we can live a life of risk without worry. You don't have to settle for shame. Jesus offers acceptance. You don't have to settle for anxiety. Jesus offers security. You don't have to settle for fear. Jesus offers hope. And if you're here this morning, you think to yourself, good gosh. I'm not sure I can believe that, but holy smokes, I want that to be true. That's exactly right. That, that shows just how real this actually is. Just the fact that you want it to be true. The, the, the question on the table is, then will I open myself up to him and let him do it? If you're doing like this the whole time, he won't. You open yourself up to him, he will. This is part of what faith, part of what faith looks like. George Bailey said at the bar, God, give me a sign. Um, you sit here. 
And you may be asking that exact same question. And the answer is, he's already given you a sign. Thankfully, not a right cross to the jaw. Yeah? Everybody good for that? He's given you the cross. Where Jesus died and where he rose. He, he has given you the, the thing, the, the symbol, if you will, that can point to acceptance and security and hope that helps satisfy the deepest needs of your... You want a sign. You don't have to end up on the floor going, well, that's what I get for coming to church today. You can look to the cross and what you will find there is a Savior who loves you and is willing to bring you in as you are, acceptance. Willing to help you walk out the days that are in front of you, security. And will see you all the way to whatever end may be, hope. You want it to be true. And church family, I just want to say it is. It is. And if you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Christ, I want you to know today can be the day that he can become the bread of life for you. He can satisfy you. And for those of us who are struggling with shame, Jesus offers acceptance. For those of us who are like on the anxiety train, he wants to bring security to you. And for those of us who are so tied up with fear, I want you to know there is hope in Jesus. Open yourself up to him. Let me pray for us and then we'll take a moment to respond, okay? Father, in Jesus' name, I ask that wherever this needs to land on somebody specific in whatever situation or circumstance, in whatever exact um, aspect or uh, sphere of their soul, I pray that it would land on them. As for my part, I, I would not know where all of us need to apply this. I would not know where we need to posture with open hands to say, God, this, but you do. And so, Holy Spirit, please, just put your finger on kids and on teenagers, on young professionals, on retired folks, on folks who are tipping over to midlife and folks who are stepping into uh, the winter season of life. Like, God, put your finger on those things. And then let us be open, open to you and what you want to do in this moment. We give you this now in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen and amen.